Uh, I want to go back to a quick recap uh, with the series that Pastor Jake failed, the Lord has spoken, uh, and he does that uh, every year. It is worship. We talk about worship. And so one of the things that he shared with us uh, when he launched this series was that we need to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And he talked about what it means to worship the Lord in spirit, but he also talked about the word truth, and Jesus is truth, but we need to walk in truth and worship in truth and spirit and in truth. Then last week, Pastor Jake talked about the sacrifice of praise. And so what he said was that sacrifice of praise means that I'm not going to worship the Lord only when things are good because it's easy for me to raise my hands and say, oh, thank you, Lord, and I'm just like super blessed, you know. I mean, I'm blessed by the best and things are good and things are clicking and I'm worshiping the Lord because that's easy. But he told us, what if you're in a dark place? What if you are in a difficult situation? Can you lift up your voice? Can you praise the Lord when it's difficult? And what he told us is that very moment, or I should better say that season of life, when it's difficult, when it's tough, this is your moment to bring to the Lord a sacrifice of praise. And so we are going to piggyback on that. And today I want to um, talk to you about something else. My sermon is called Imperfect But Pleasing Worship, and we'll, we'll get into that. Before that, um, I also want to post here the, uh, one of the main verses, and this is a verse that Pastor Jake um, uh, talked about as well. It is Romans 12:1. And what we see there is, um, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so, out of that section, out of that verse, Pastor Jake talked about the sacrifice of praise, and he explained to us what that really means, but then continuing with the rest of the verse, he says, right after living sacrifice, he says, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so when I read these words, holy and pleasing, we know the difference between holy and holy, and we can walk and live in a way that is holy or unholy, but we can also be pleasing or unpleasing. And I want to stop a little bit because I really thought about this, and then the verse continues, right? True and proper worship. So my worship can be not so truth. Yeah, because Pastor Jake said we need, to spirit, we need to worship in spirit and in truth. And also it says that is your proper worship. So maybe there is an improper, which has nothing to do with posture. Because I think you can worship God everywhere. Everywhere and anywhere. While you're driving in the store, in, uh, where you're under the shower. Especially if you cannot sing. That's probably the place you sing the most in the shower. Uh, so anywhere and everywhere. Um, but at the same time, the word pleasing, it's a little bit of a, it's a tough thing to understand, I believe, and let me say why. When we talk about pleasing, we confuse a lot of times the word pleasing with loving because we think that because God loves us always unconditionally, that that means that I'm also always pleasing unto the Lord. Why wouldn't that be, I thought, I thought I'm his pleased child, he's pleased with me. Well, if we look in Scripture, but before that, we'll give an example with ourselves. For example, as a parent, could you say, would you say that you love your kids unconditionally? I hope you do. If not, 
uh, sign up and have um, a counseling session with Pastor Jake. If that's not the case, I'm kidding, of course, but I know all of us love our kids unconditionally. At the same time, are there times in your life, in your interaction with your kids where they're not so pleasing to you? They do things that displease you? Yeah, they do. They do things that displease you. Does that mean that in those moments when they're not so pleasing unto you in a way that you stop loving them? Of course not. And so in this, in this light, we see about the love of God in Romans um, chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. I want you to read that. And I, I, I pray that this will really sink into our hearts about the love of God. You know the scripture very well. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Think about this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Any of those things can raise its ugly head and separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. And then there is a quote. It is written, for your sake we have been killed all day. Long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor beings, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So regardless of what you do, regardless of what I do, nor circumstances, nothing on earth, nothing in the heavens, meaning in the spiritual world, or troubles or persecution or sword, or good times or bad times, or times when we are in great need, times of distress, times of depression, anything can separate us from the love of God. That means nothing can make God stop loving you. But that is different then the same loving God who tells us this morning that nothing in this world can ever separate us from this love, he also tells us that we can be pleasing or displeasing. And I wanted to look into that because today I'm going to talk about improper but pleasing worship. And so we see that in, uh, let me find this place. All right. So we're going to look into Hebrews 11.6. And this is what Hebrews, this is the faith chapter, says in the verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Another translation says, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I love that better. And so the word of God says that without faith, it is not possible to please God. That very same loving God who loves us regardless, no matter what, says that in order for me to be pleasing unto him, I need to activate my faith. And when I walk in faith, when I operate in faith, then I can please him. Why? Scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. That's how we operate. This is your, what is it called? Modus operandi. This is how you function in this life. It is faith. And so God says, when you activate your faith, this is how you can reach the throne of God and you can ask of me things. And I'm pleased. 
God wants to have a relationship with us. And if we activate our faith and go into his presence through that faith, we are united with the Lord and we have a relationship with him. And he is pleased that his children activate their faith and they have a communion with him. So we see that the word of God tells us that yes, God says, if you want to please me, you need to do that by faith. And then Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and in awe, for all God is consuming fire. So what we see here is that in this scripture it says that the worship to God can be acceptable with reverence. So our worship can be pleasing or displeasing, and our worship can also be acceptable. Speaking of faith, I'm also reminded of the book of James where he talks about the relationship between faith and works. Why is that important? Well, when we say faith, the way the Bible defines faith is very different than the way the world defines faith. Because you will get to talk to people if you share your faith and in any kind of conversation and they will tell you, yeah, I believe in God. I'm a good person. I, you know, I'm maybe not as radical as you are, you know, like you... You guys go to church every Sunday and all that stuff, but I believe in God. And like, what would you say to that? But the Bible says, no, that's not how it is. And so James talks to us about that in, verse, in the chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Let's look into that as well. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have good works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James says, just saying that you believe is not enough. So when we said about how we need to activate our faith so that we are pleasing unto the Lord, there's something else that needs to be attached to that, and that is the fact that we don't always define faith the way God defines faith. And then James continues and he says in verses 18 and 19, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And then in verse 26 it says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also, faith apart from works is dead. But notice what verse 19 says. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. Wow, this is exactly what we said. Just admitting that God exists is not enough. Even the demons know that God exists. And they even shudder, they even tremble in front of his presence. But that is not the type of faith that James is talking about. So we need to define and understand exactly what we're talking about when we say that when we activate our faith, we become pleasing unto the Lord. It is different than what the world says. And so now what we're saying and what we're seeing is this. God can love us just the way we love our kids. But then in that state of me being eternally and consistently loved by God, I can be pleasing or displeasing Him. Maybe I can grieve His heart. Or I can please him. And then I understand that the way I can please God is by faith. But then I also understand that my faith is different than what the world says it is. And that there's two things to it. I have to have faith and I have to have good works. 
Now, I'm not saying that we are saved by our good works, and I'm not just preaching morality for morality's sake. I'm not talking about a behavior modification of some sorts. But you see, when I have genuine faith in God, the byproduct of my faith is my works. So the locomotive, the engine is my faith. And everything else that the locomotive pulls behind it is my good works. I'm not putting my, my, my good works before the engine. But my genuine faith produces, or this is the byproduct of my sincere faith in Christ, is my good works. And so what James is saying is, when I see that you lack good works, I have to question your sincere faith because I'm not seeing the byproduct of what should be there if your faith was genuine in the first place. So I want to make sure we, I'm not preaching about being say I'm not Catholic, okay? And nothing, you know, God bless them and I believe, I, I believe there will be sincere Catholics who are saved, okay? But I'm not talking about the way they see scripture about being uh, having faith in God and having faith in Jesus, but also that you have to show good works and good works can also, in a way, save you and get you to heaven. No. Faith and byproduct of my sincere faith is my good works. And so when we understand that, then we have to see the relationship between my faith and my good works and my lifestyle in order to understand how exactly am I going to be pleased. And you see logically where I'm going with this. So the faith that I believe, my understanding and my faith in God, the sacrifice on the cross, what Jesus Christ has done for me, that faith of doctrine, salvation, saved by grace, the sinless life of Christ, his virgin birth, all of these things that are part of my faith in Jesus is called orthodoxy. Orthodoxy basically means authorized or generally accepted theory or doctrine. If you heard of the so-called orthodox Christianity, that means that when a preacher preaches, he preaches what is called sound doctrine. That is orthodox faith, meaning right, acceptable theory, the way it is written in the Bible. The doctrines of our faith, when we believe that in its accurate state, I would also say orthodoxy is right believing. The right believing in the proper context. And I want to mention the, pro the, the, the proper context because a lot of times scripture is put out of context. And then the right place has been pulled, has been twisted. So my right proper belief of scripture in the proper context it's called sound theology or it's called orthodoxy. So on one side, I have my orthodoxy. I have my right faith. And that's part of, of the faith that I have to have in order to be pleasing unto the Lord. But then also James says, remember good works. They're the byproduct. They're attached to my faith. And those good works is what I call, what is actually called orthopraxy. Orthopraxy means correctness of action or practice. So I have my orthodoxy, right beliefs, and I have my orthopraxy, right actions. And I would like to suggest to you that those two are my legs of my walk with the Lord. Have you guys ever heard of this uh, 
Christian saying that we say, my walk with the Lord. How is your walk with the Lord? Well, I'm walking on my two feet. And my walk with the Lord is defined by my orthodoxy and my orthopraxy. I should not go more than this because something might crack. But this is, right now I'm walking with the Lord. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. This is what James is talking about. Right believing, right doing. Right believing, right doing. And so I have two feet. And one of them is orthodoxy. The other one is orthopraxy. One of them is that I believe the right things in the right context. The other thing is that as a byproduct, I do the right things. And when I do those two things, my walk with the Lord is pleasing unto Him. Because I'm walking the correct way in my heart and in my beliefs, but also in my byproduct of the way I am being pleasing unto the Lord because my good works prove to me, to God, and to the world that I am a sincere believer in Jesus. And so what did we learn? Pleasing to God must be activated by faith. My faith isn't mere acceptance of God's existence, but must be shown by my good works. And my good works must be the second foot of my walk with the Lord. But you see, when I walk, I struggle. And I think all of us struggle because we're imperfect. A lot of times, especially as a preacher, I know very well what the Bible says. And all of us, we know what the Bible says about other people, right? <laughs> right? We always, well, the Bible says this. I mean, we are really good preachers, especially in our Christian churches, right? I have all of the ideas about Kanye West, if he's a sincere Christian or not. I know everything I can quote, and I have a very firm beliefs about somebody else. Oh, I can tell you what I think about him, whether or not he's a Christian, right? I can tell you about Justin Bieber. Any believers here? Oh, I heard he had an album with Hillsong. Oh, I can tell you what I really think about him. Because this foot is really good. My orthodoxy is very good. I know how to preach. I know what to tell other people to think. I have my opinion about everything. But when it comes to my orthopraxy, oh, right? My orthodoxy is good, but my orthopraxy ain't that good. This morning, I had to apologize to my wife. Because yesterday, I was not as loving as I needed to be. Amen? Can we all be real? You guys remember Mike said that one of the reasons why he loves our church is because we are, we are real here? Yeah, I'm imperfect just like you. I needed to go and apologize. I ain't going to come and preach if I, if I didn't do that. But yesterday, we had a disagreement. Guess what it was about? I'm a guy. It was, of course it was about food. Of course it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted her to cook this, she wanted this, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm getting hangry, you know, because about a guy, it's all about food. But you see, my, I'm not judging you, my orthopraxy, even though I've been preaching for 25 years, man, I struggle on a daily basis. And I know what to do, but Paul says, even though I want to do the right I can't always do the right thing, even though I know what to do. I can't do the right thing. And this is the struggle. This is the holy tension between my orthodoxy and my orthopraxy. Because even though I know about other, other people, and then the Holy Spirit comes and convicts me about me, about me, about me, I am constantly limping because my walk with the Lord is defined not only by what I know, but also by what I should do. You guys remember a story about somebody who was limping in the Bible? Going back to Genesis, you guys remember the guy Jacob? What happened with him? Genesis 32, 25. 
When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, his socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Jacob, Jacob knew of God, but here after the encounter with God, God dislocated his hip and he was limping. I don't know if he was limping for the rest of his life or not. Another scripture says that he was leaning on his staff, so maybe he did limp forever. Maybe he limped, or maybe he was leaning against his staff because he was old of age. I ain't gonna make a doctrine because I don't know. But even if it was for just a moment, the moment Jacob encountered God, his walk was changed. Do you understand what I'm going with this? His walk was changed. But all because now, not only that he knew of God, he had an encounter and he knew God personally, which was his orthodoxy. But then God touched his hip and his orthodoxy changed because God changed his identity and said, you're not going to be Jacob anymore, you're going to be Israel. And in that new identity, he actually did walk differently because he had that encounter with God. But you see, his walk changed. There is a spiritual significance to what happened to him because Jacob's walk Changed and until this day, the, the, the nation of Israel still celebrates that. There's this special area from the animal when they have the sacrifice that they don't eat because they remember how Jacob's hip was touched and how his walk was changed. And then they remember that they're holy nation unto the Lord. Holy means set apart, and God has set them apart that they would walk differently in comparison to the whole world because Jesus is going to come out of the loins of Israel and they're holy nation unto the Lord, and they need to walk differently. And you and I are called to walk differently because we are royal priesthood, right? Amen. But you see, the thing that I have about me and about the times that I don't do so well and I should is that when I have a difficulty with my orthopraxy, when I have a difficulty with the way I walk and the way I should act and my actions and my byproduct of my faith is that I find myself more and more that I am incredibly imperfect. Hello, right? Every one of us. So I'm not, see, I'm, I'm not here to condemn anyone or make you feel bad because I was the first one to admit that it was yesterday, okay? It wasn't like, <laughs> yeah, I sinned like five years ago. No, it was yesterday. It was last night. Uh, and I, this is one of those things Pastor Jacob can attest to it. God always tests you before you preach, doesn't he, Pastor Jake? He always finds a way to challenge me if I'm going to be real. And I am with my shortcomings and everything to say, I'm going to step up and it's always, God always tests me with what am I going to preach next? He always does. He wants to make sure my heart is in the right place. So I'm imperfect, you're imperfect and I have my struggles that are different than your struggles. And you're probably thinking, well, you've been talking about just good works and I don't know how much good works I have, but if you know my bad works... Mario, I'm never going to be accepted by God if, if this is what you're saying. And this is not what I'm saying and we're going to get into it. Because I'm not talking about being this holier than thou people and others feel like they can't even measure up. There was time in our church in America when pastors would put on a such a pedestal that they looked so holy and they never would admit their mistake that their own congregation would look at them and know what they would say? I can never measure up. I can never be like him. I can never be like her, this leader or that leader. 
I think those times are gone. I think more and more people are realizing that this is not going to help you. It's not going to help your church. It's not going to help the people who listen to your messages. Because it's not about being perfect. It's about being imperfect and being sincere. Like David. David was an adulterer. He was a murderer. And whole other things. And God called him what? A man after my own heart. Because he was quick to repent. And he was quick to be real with the Lord. Speaking of which, and let me finish my sentence because uh, it might sound unorthodox in the beginning. Do you know that God doesn't want you to be holy? He wants you to be honest. And when you are honest, He makes you holy. God doesn't want you to be holy on yourself. It's the same HH, holy. He wants you to be honest. And when you're honest with Him, He makes you holy. We don't understand the pattern. Last night, with everything that happened and my food and, and all of that stuff, today before message, I needed to go and apologize to my wife. And I felt the presence of God because I was honest and asked her for forgiveness. And I believe in that moment when I, was, when I was honest, God made me holy again. God restored me and He said, now you can go and preach. In your life, you struggle with something and you're like, man, my limp is really big. I, I don't even know that much because I'm a new believer, but I think my both feet are really messed up in my walk with the Lord. And that's okay. Because all you need to do is be honest with Him. You need to confess your sin. You need to try and just cling to the Lord. And He will do the rest. This is your process of sanctification. Sanctification meaning becoming more and more like Jesus. Salvation is an event. Sanctification is a process. And so you're saved once. But for the rest of your life, you allow the Lord to change you. You become honest with Him and He will make you holy. You become honest with him and he will convict you gently with the Holy Spirit and you will become more Christ-like. This is what sanctification. But it's a process and we're in a different place in our walk with the Lord. And that's okay. All you need to do is honest, to be honest, just like David. And so we come to the point where we realize that we just need to be honest with the Lord in our imperfect state of walking with the Lord. And some of us struggle with one leg, some of us struggle with the other but we all struggle. We are all imperfect. Then what happens next? And this is what I want you to remember. I'm going to read the scripture that I mentioned earlier. First Peter 2, 9. But you are chosen race of royal priesthood and a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellence of him, not of you, because we are excellent, whom called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Amen. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you and I need to realize that we've been bought by the, with a price and now we belong to him. And he has called us royal priesthood. Not when we become perfect, not where we are awesome in you, in perfect state. He has already given you a crown and he has already called you a royal priesthood. In you, in perfect state, you can have perfect worship or acceptable worship. And I'll get to that as well. But this is who he has called us to be. Because you see, we need to understand who we are. God has created us for one purpose, and that is to worship him. You have been created to be a worshiper. And that is more important than anything else. Have you been in a situation just like me? Many times 
where you do something maybe stupid or whatever it is, and you think to yourself, man, I can't believe I did that. Have you been there? I've been there many times. You can ask my, my, my wife. She'll tell, yeah, yeah, like on a daily basis. You know, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. And think about this. What is usually the very next thing you say after you tell yourself, I can't believe I did that? What do you say? I can't believe I did that because that's not who I am. Because you see, doing becomes out of being. And when I understand that I'm called to be a worshiper and my identity is to be a worshiper, that changes everything. You talk to people who are struggling with something and what do they usually tell you? Well, I don't know anything better. And their identity has not changed and they think they don't amount to anything else. But if you see yourself as a worshiper, every time something happens, you are saying, I'm called to be a worshiper. This is not who I am. And then the next time that happens, when you tell yourself, Mario, this is not who I am, then I'm honest with God and say, God, forgive me, God, help me, help me, because you have called me to be a worshiper, and that's not who I am. And then when you're honest with him, he will make you holy. And then you go, and you continue walking. And next time you stumble, you wake up and say, God, this is not who you have called me to be. And he says, you are forgiven. And then you make a bold step, and you continue walking. And then the next time you stumble and you tell yourself, God, this is not who you have called me to be. This is not who I am. And then you're honest with him. And he cleanses you and makes you holy. And then you make a jump. And then one day after five, ten years, you walk back and you see that your stumbling has become less and less. Not because you have a moral behavior modification, but you have realized who you are. Because of who you are comes out what you do. It is not what I do, it's who I am that determines my next thing. When I realize that I am called by God to be a worshiper, not just in my, in my words or in my lifting of hands, and Pastor Jake talked about that, but everything I do is worship. Do you know that today announcements were worship? The act of announcement is worship because we tell the church and the world, we're doing things here. This is a church that is alive. This is a church that has things. This is a church that plans. This is a church that wants to reach out. Our boring announcements are an act of worship. Our message about giving is an act of worship because every time you give, you give a part of yourself, of your time and energy and sweat and blood. When you leave this church, our church, and you go tomorrow to work, it is an act of worship because God has called us to do our very best. And when we work, we need to be salt and light. And this is a mission field that God has called you to be a worshiper. When you go to the store and you stop and someone is having a hard time and you say, hey, I don't know, just the Lord, this might be crazy, but the Lord told me that I need to stop. How are you doing? I don't know you, but can I pray for you? This is an act of worship. Right. It's mission, but it's also an act of worship. When you go to the gas station and someone is looking in their pockets and you say, hey, what's wrong? I can't believe I did that. I forgot my wallet at home. Can I pay for you gas? Who are you? It doesn't matter. I just want to tell you God loves you and, and you pay for the gas. This is an act of worship. Right. Everything I do is an act of worship. And then when I realize that in my imperfect state, when I make a mistake after mistake, mistake after mistake, if I'm honest and God cleanses me and I understand that out of my being, I really, really 
understand who God is. And in my heart of hearts, I want to do nothing else but please Him. And everything in my life is an act of worship. Then in my imperfect state, still imperfect, my worship is acceptable and pleasing. I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel like you're nothing. But you and I, we, all of us are imperfect. And I want to tell you that in this very moment, if your heart's desire is to worship God and to bring Him glory, regardless of how imperfect you see yourself, your life, your identity, and the way you please and the way you worship God is pleasing unto Him. It's pleasing unto Him. So you see, identity is the key. Because what we realize is that out of our being comes our doing. I have two more things to share. I want to give an opportunity to those of you and also online who maybe are not sure where their relationship with the Lord is. I want to give you an opportunity to make it right. I want, to know, I want you to know that Jesus loves you with the type of love that nobody can ever, will ever have for you as a person. Not of what you do, of who you are. Because in your identity, you have been created in His image. And He gave His very best, His one and only Son. This is how much He, this is how much you mean to Him. This is how precious you are to Him. And if you're not sure, if you tell me, Mario, I'm not sure where my relationship is, I want to ask you, do you remember a time when you have actually prayed and accepted Jesus? Because if you can go back and you don't remember a time and a moment in your life where you have actually prayed and accepted Jesus, most likely you don't know him. So I would like all of us to bow our heads and, and I want to give you a chance for our congregation and also those who watch online. Would you please repeat after me? And if you here today feel like this prayer is for you, would you please quickly indicate with the raising of your hand that you would like to accept Jesus? If you're not sure where you stand, that you're telling not me but the Lord, Lord, I am here to repent of my sins and to accept you as my Lord and Savior. Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. I believe that he died on the third day, was raised, but he died for my sins. And I repent of my sins and I ask you, Lord, for forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? But I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I believe that right now, as I have accepted you as my Savior, I'm your child. In Jesus' name, amen. The next thing I wanted to challenge you with is, how is your walk with the Lord? Do you feel like one of your legs is really, really a need of strength? And you, and you think like, yeah, I think I, I think I can do better in these areas. Don't try on your own. Just be honest and he will make you holy. Just cry out to see and say, Lord, I want to do better, not just for the sake of being better, but because I want to offer you 
an acceptable worship for the rest of my life I want to be a worshiper of yours you know where you stand with the Lord but I want you to give him a promise this morning and say you know what I'm gonna work on this I'm gonna be honest with him maybe there is something in your life where you have struggled for a long time and nobody knows about it whatever that is God has called us to be better husbands including me God has called us to be better wives God has called us to be better parents God has called us to be better at work God has called us to watch what we to be careful what we watch and what we hear what we read God has called us to to be better of with, with what we say God has called us to be better in our hearts with the things we desire the things we despise the things we love and hate and if that is you all I'm telling you is that God is here for you and not against you he wants to grab you by the hand and pick you up and he wants to tell you your identity is a worshiper and you are imperfect that's okay just be honest with me I will do the rest and I want to tell you one last thing of the way it is one of the most amazing ways you can look now of how our worship is pleasing unto him I hope I don't start crying because I'm usually cry I look at our church and it's absolutely amazing it is absolutely amazing look at what it says about Christianity about what's going to be in the, by the throne of God behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and Jesus says this is his prayer that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I am in you I look at our church and I see a lot of uh, Scandinavians and maybe some German maybe some from French a lot of Caucasians I see some Eastern Europeans a few I know we have a, a brother from Ghana you know where I'm going with this right we have African-Americans I don't know if we have Asians I pray we do we have a lot of Hispanics and about it when we go to heaven representation of every tribe and every nation and every race and ethnicity and tongue will be in front of the throne of God and this is our pleasing worship when we are together in his house and we pray and worship in unity where everybody is welcome because we all believe in the same God amen